I'd like to introduce uh, Derek Sanderson. Uh, he's a marketplace leader in our city in Chico. He's a realtor and he has a 15 year history of working with uh, houses of prayer, including uh, Kansas City. And he and his wife are presently starting a house of prayer right here in Chico. And so it's a real honor to, to have him as a friend uh, and to have him in our city, he and his dear wife, Heather, are just so, uh, such a, a blessing to us. And it's, uh, I'm thankful to be able to introduce him. Derek, great to have you today. Thank you, dear friend. Thank you uh, for the introduction. Um, super thankful and blessed just to be able uh, to have the opportunity to share uh, I'm I'm going to quick share my screen. So give me one moment. Uh, for those of you who are not aware uh, of Gaylord and uh, the Love Revolution, uh, Gaylord, uh, he can probably tell his story better than I can. However, um, he had an experience uh, years ago with an absolute breakdown, burnout moment in ministry. And through that experience, the Lord used it uh, to draw attention to something that had been missing uh, since the early church. And that was the command of Jesus. And so tonight, I am excited to be able to share with you a little bit about that and not just rediscovering it, but actually recovering uh, this yeah. command that Jesus gave. So I've got some slides. I'm a big Bible person, so I'm going to have a lot of scripture. Uh, feel free. You can take pictures uh, if you don't have your Bible with you. Um, also, I can try to get these slides to Jonathan and the team uh, to get them dispersed to anybody who would like to see or use them. Uh, so, really, we start uh, with the Great Commission. Uh, it's probably next to John 3.16, one of the most well-known verses uh, in Christianity. And it's it simply is Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, he essentially gives the disciples his marching orders. Spoke of them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Uh, but there's something striking in this uh, passage, and it's verse 20. Um, I never, almost never hear this verse shared when people talk about the Great Commission. But Jesus said, teach them, these disciples that you're making, to observe all the things I commanded you. And my humble uh, perspective is that the church uh, has honestly lost a big part of the Great Commission. And it's tied to what Jesus commanded his disciples and us way back before he ascended 
to the father. So that begs the question then, what did Jesus command? If, if he told the disciples, hey, uh, you need to teach them what I commanded you, it, we should probably dig in and find out, okay, what is it then, Jesus, that you were talking about? What is it that you actually commanded? So we find on the night that he was betrayed, the final supper, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it. After supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup, my new covenant in my blood. We're, we're very familiar. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you should be familiar with the last supper when Jesus instituted this reality of the new covenant, his body and his blood, there's power in his body, and his blood. And I promise I'm not going to go down a rabbit trail because I love talking about communion. Mm -hmm. However, in that context, in that context is when Jesus initiated his command. And it's right there a little bit later that night. A new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so we see Jesus tying the new covenant together with this new command. The new covenant that is found in his body and his blood is now tied to loving one another in the very same way that Jesus loved us, in the same way that he loved his disciples, those men that were sitting around him at the Last Supper. Now, it's interesting, a little side note on this, the disciples in that moment seemingly missed what the new commandment was. Because if you go back and read the story, uh, Jesus had talked about, uh, one of you is going to betray me. And then he goes into this little discourse about this new command, and, and Peter's like, whoa, wait, what? Um, and asks about, well, about this whole betrayal. So, but what we see and what we'll see as we go through scripture is actually the disciples did catch it. I think they just didn't realize that they caught it right away. So I actually have um, John 13, 34 through 35. I've got three different translations I'm going to share with you um, because I believe that it helps give us uh, a better picture or a more holistic picture of of what it is that Jesus is saying. So um, the first one is the new King James, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that also you would love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now the Living Bible, oh, this is a paraphrased uh, version. And so I'm giving a new commandment to you now. Love each other just as I have loved you. Your strong love for each other will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And then lastly, uh, the Passion Translation, which is much more of a paraphrased version as well. But it says, so I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I've loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. In this new command, Jesus sets a new standard. We know that in the Old Testament, uh, 
We are commanded to love one another. And yet, as Jesus always does, Jesus kind of raised that bar. He set a new standard, just like when he was walking the earth and sharing. You may have heard it said that uh, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you even look upon a woman lustfully, he goes to the heart. He always raises the bar and he always goes to the heart. And so although the Old Testament does command that we should love one another, Jesus does something very profound here. And what he does is, is he gives us an example of what this love looks like. Because in the Old Testament, though there was this command, we really do not have a picture of what it really means to love one another other than following the law, which is impossible to do. And even the sacrificial system and everything that's laid out in the Old Testament, it's but a glimpse. It points to what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. It all points to the new covenant and the new command. And so if his new command is that we should love one another as he has loved us, the reality is we need to know how is it that he loved us then? If this is our measurement, if this is now our new standard and the new command, then we should try to understand what it is that that means. In 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. That sounds a lot like the command of Jesus, this new command. Again, the the Old Testament doesn't really give us a great example in the flesh of what it looks like to walk out loving one another. And so Jesus set that up for us. It's almost like a a slow, soft pitch that Jesus lobbed us and said, hey, I'm going to make it really easy uh, for you to be able to understand. Follow my example. (laughs) As Jesus, as I lay down my life, my body and my blood, so you too must do the same thing. That is true love. And so what does that look like? We see in Galatians 6, brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass or sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Again, this sounds a lot like the example that Jesus set for us in how he loved us. There were so many times that he could have walked away from the disciples. There's so many times he could have gotten frustrated and said, you know what, Father, forget it. Just bring me up, beam me up, Scotty. Bring me up now. I'm done. They're they're not going to get it. I'm fed up. And yet he persevered and showed us what it looks like to walk, to, to carry the burden. And we even see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, this burden, this weight that he begins to hold it. It's so heavy and so consuming that he actually begins to sweat blood. He literally showed us what it looks like to love one another 
He showed us what it looks like to help carry each other's burdens. And yet it almost takes it uh, one step further here in 2 Corinthians. It's known as the, the ministry of reconciliation. So again, this is, okay, if we're called to love one another, what does that look like? This is one of my favorite verses, 2 Corinthians 5.14, for the love of Christ compels us. That's his love that literally drives us. It pulls us. It provokes us. It's his love. Because we judge this, that if one died, then all died. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Jump down to verse 20. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We, I love this language, this, this fact that the, his love compels us, that if we are in Christ, we are literally this new creation. We are a new being, we are called to no longer walk in the ways of the flesh. Now, the, the way of the flesh is everything that is in opposition to the love of Christ. The way of the flesh is self-serving. It's self-gratification. It's, it's all about me. However, the love of Christ, the law of Christ, the command of Jesus is literally the opposite of that. It's literally laying our lives down because we are a new creation. We're no longer of the world. And so it's coming into that place of humility, of servanthood, of bearing one another's burdens, of coming alongside and really loving the individual. And so if we're this new creation, then we're these ambassadors. And this idea that we are ambassadors for Christ, remember, Jesus said in the context of his new command, he said, love one another as I have loved you, for by this, the world will know that you are my disciples. It's how you walk this out. The world isn't going to know you're my disciples based off of what you're angry about or what you stand against, though those things aren't necessarily wrong, Jesus makes it explicitly clear. The world will know you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another, the example that we're setting in totally submitting to Christ and his love and allowing it to compel us to love one another. And so that leads us to uh, an unfortunate reality that we see in the body of Christ. And we don't see it everywhere, but there's this idea of, I have no need of you. That phrase might sound familiar to some, uh, and it might not sound very familiar to others. So I'm, I'm just going to quick go over this, this verse of where this idea comes from. And it's from 1 Corinthians 12. 
And essentially what it says is the eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Those members of the body, which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body, which we think to be less honorable and these we bestow great honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it. Here's the key, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. For if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one is honored, then all members rejoice with it. The truth is, If we are truly walking out the command of Christ, if we are loving one another in the way that he loved us, then there's no way we could have the attitude that says, I have no need of you. That should never be a thought that we embrace. It shouldn't be something that comes uh, out of our mouth as it pertains to the body of Christ, because It says here in verse 24, but God composed the body. And who are we to say about something that God composed and put together to say to them, I have no need of you. The truth is there's no way we can experience John 17 unity. When Jesus prays, Father, I desire, there's no way we can experience that type of unity If we have the attitude of, I have no need of you, the only way that we will see true unity in the body of Christ is if we're walking out the command of Christ. And that is, again, this command I give to you that you would love one another as I have loved you. The truth is Christianity, Christian unity is never achieved when unity is our only focus and goal. It will always fall apart and fail. And don't get me wrong, I love John 17 unity movements. However, just getting together saying, hey, we're going to have John 17 unity. This is our goal. This is our focus. It will be fruitless and it will fall apart because unless it is rooted and grounded in the command of Jesus, if it's not rooted in us walking out his love and loving one another, there's no way it can happen. It just won't happen. And so it really is a gift that God gives us and we need to guard it. And the way that we guard this is an obedience to his command. The command of Christ should provoke us. It should compel us and drive us to one another. It shouldn't drive us apart. The fact is it should compel us to act with absolute humility and preferential treatment of the person in front of you. That is to love one another And it's interesting, a a side note on that, Jesus did not say, love the world like I've loved you. Love those that are not believers uh, like I loved you. Now, granted, they're speaking love and truth, and that's a whole nother conversation. But the truth is, Jesus 
was directly speaking to how we interact as his body. How do we interact as his disciples? How do we interact as the body of Christ? Okay. So, so then how do we actually love? That is the million dollar question. That's great, Jesus. You told us to love like you love. Uh, but I don't know about you, but every time I try to love somebody the way Jesus loved me, um, the voice of the accuser ends up whispering lies into my ear like you failed. You didn't really love them. You didn't measure up. You think that's love? You're such a failure. How can you call yourself a Christian? How can you call yourself a disciple of Jesus? I might be the only one, but that the accuser of the brethren, he is so good at whispering those lies to me when I, when I attempt to love others the way that he loved me. And ultimately in those moments when I come up short, like how about my family or my wife, or I lose patience with those that are closest around me and I get snappy. I might be the only one, but in those moments, there, there's this truth and there's a prayer that has helped me and it's actually empowered me in how to actually love. And I want to share this with you. Um, so first in first in John, and then we'll go into that prayer. Love has been perfected among us. No, there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out all fear. We love him because he first loved us. And this and his this commandment we have from him that he who loves God love his brother also. At the end of the day, there's no way we can love others the way that Christ loved us until we recognized that he first loved us. We have to be able to receive his love first, individually. The love of the Father, the love of the Son, the love of Holy Spirit. Until we can begin to actually receive that and begin to grasp what that really means, there's no way that you will really be able to walk out Jesus' command. It's impossible. We can't do it in the flesh. Remember, the old man, the old nature is now dead and gone when we are in Christ. And so if we are in Christ, surely his love will compel us and work through us. So we have to first recognize we can't do it apart from him. We cannot do it in our own power. It's just impossible. So then how do we fulfill Jesus' command? And I absolutely love this prayer in Ephesians 3. I want you to make sure you write this verse down. Uh, take a picture, um, highlight it in your Bible. It's okay to write in your Bible. Um, it's okay to do that. But here's, look at this prayer that Paul prays for the church of Ephesus. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. It is only through Christ that we can can fulfill his command. The truth is, it's not about us doing more. It's not about checking all the right boxes. It can only happen through him. Jesus is not waiting for us to get our act together. He's not waiting for us to fast more, to pray more. He's really not. If we are in him, then the word says that then he abides in us. John 15, through Holy Spirit to be, to fulfill the command of Christ. And so this prayer is something that I pray on a regular basis. God, would you grant me according to your riches? Father, would you strengthen me through your spirit? Would you give me the ability to comprehend, to know your love? Father, would you fill me with all the fullness of who you are? He alone, he alone can grant us to be strengthened, the ability to comprehend, to know his love and to be filled with his fullness only He can do that. And the truth is we have to walk in humility. We have to be able to prefer one another above ourselves. We see this in the book of Acts, and I'm going to stop. Incredible picture of what it can actually look like when the body of Christ begins to walk out Jesus' command to love one another. In Acts chapter 2, verses 44 and 45, we see it recorded. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And again, in Acts 4, 34 through 37, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, brought the proceeds and things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they were distributed to each one as anyone had need. We Now, I'm not saying that we all go out and sell our homes and, and our land and, and give all the money to the church. If, if the Lord calls you to do that, then by all means, please be obedient. But it, again, it's the heart of the matter. What compelled the early church to give up all their possessions? It was because of Jesus's command. Jesus literally gave it all. His, in his love, he gave it all. And he said, I want you to do the same for one another. What would our cities look like if we began to love one another in the way that Jesus loved us? If instead of speaking ill or thinking ill of that church or that pastor down the street or that other prayer group that maybe is a little different than us, what would it look like if we actually came in the opposite spirit and the spirit 
of love and came into and under the command of Jesus and began to, in humility, love and serve them. What would our cities look like? What would our churches look like? What would our states begin to look like? What could happen? What type of transformation would happen if we actually began to embrace this command that Jesus gave us to love one another? Oh, and I am not perfect at it. Let me tell you, I today uh, with my boys, I have a seven and three-year-old and we homeschool. And I know Jonathan's got an entire tribe. It's really easy as a parent <laughs> to lose patience and to not love my family well. And yet I always come back to, again, that prayer in Ephesians 3. Yeah. God, give me, strengthen me in my inner man. Yes. Give me the comprehension and the knowledge of your love for me. Yeah. Fill me with the fullness of who you are so that then I can take that and begin to live out of that place and truly love those around me.